Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's what you always want to make sure to put into a gospel account, right? Who's fastest? Who got there first? For sure, John might be the youngest. He's doing that. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came and following him, they went to the tomb. And they saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, the one who reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means my rabbi. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your, and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Spark Church, he is risen. On Good Friday, that Friday that brought only horror and grief and shock and loss and despair. With the very mention of crucifixion was taboo in polite Roman circles since it was the lowest form of capital punishment reserved for slaves and rebels. That Good Friday brought only trauma and loss and confusion. And on that holy Saturday in between, that Shabbat day of rest required everyone to stay at home. Imagine the fear and the loss and the confusion and the grief you would feel. For many of us, we live a lot of our lives for much of the world. And it even seems right now. We live a lot of life between Good Friday and Resurrection Day. There's a lot of life lived on that Holy Saturday where we wonder why. And we can't figure it out. And the grief is so heavy, we, can, we can't bear it. We can't stand under the weight of it. Much of our lives are lived between Good Friday and Easter morning. And yet, as Psalm 30, 
verse 5 declares, Weeping may linger for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Easter Sunday, the women discovered the most unexpected thing. They came to the tomb, prepared to care for the body, to prepared to mourn their rabbi, their friend, ready with spices, bracing themselves for the pain and the stench and the grief and the unspeakable cruelty of the cross and the violence of the Roman Empire. They go there looking, anticipating all of that. But instead of a body at a tomb, they are met outside of an empty tomb by an angel asking, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This is crazy news, you guys. I don't know if you know this, but 2,000 years ago, people also knew then that dead people did not come back to life. Like if you experienced massive crucifixion cruelty, all of the horrors that are discussed, like that, that guy's dead. But they instead are met with, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And they rush to the disciples to declare this unbelievable news. And ultimately, Jesus's followers would come to believe this shocking claim that Jesus's death and burial and resurrection launched a revolution that overthrew the powers of death and toppled the empires of this world, bringing about a new kingdom and a new king. That the irony was Pilate was right. He is the king. And his throne looked like a cross. And that was not understood or anticipated. Now, without the resurrection, Jesus's followers would have concluded with shame that he was nothing more than another failed Messiah and that nothing had changed. Wouldn't they? They would go back and for sure they're not going to risk crucifixion themselves and shame and ridicule to tell this story. And to continue to live according to this story, for sure they're not going to do that for something they don't believe really, truly did happen. And then Jesus appears to them in the upper room and and he appears to them in Galilee and they see him on the mount and they have these experiences with him and the life is changed forever. A lot of times in this world and in times and days like the way, like the ones that we're in, I feel often like I'm Debbie Downer. Has anybody ever, sometimes like, oh, church, sparks the church for the people who are introverts and questioning and feeling like everything's really hard. Um, if you don't know Debbie Downer, it's like a really silly SNL sketch that probably dates me from the times I used to be able to stay up late enough to watch SNL. So when you actually had to stay up late to watch it, you couldn't just watch it on your screen because that wasn't a thing yet. Okay. One of the things that constantly is weighing me down that sticks me right in that Holy Saturday, and and we could list all of them, right? I mean, we could sit here and go, Afghanistan, floods in South Africa, what's happening in Ethiopia and Sudan, Philippines, Ukraine, and on and on and on. One of the things that I have trouble like just sleeping at night with is that and you guys know this creature spark, the constant concern that I have regarding the state of our world, the climate change, the world that we're living in and the world that we're leaving for the kids around us. So I'm a total Debbie Downer on this. I'm like, oh no, another IPCC report. It's bad. Nobody's listening. People still aren't listening. 
And I guess I'm not alone because a record 70% of Americans are now very or somewhat worried about global warming, according to a 2021 study published by Yale. And climate concern and doomerism have found its way into therapy sessions. And if you haven't yet experienced this, I'm so glad. That's awesome. I'm glad you're not in the doom and gloom category, but some of us are worried or we've just felt that the weight of the last two years has been too heavy. We don't know what to do. And whatever it is that might be keeping us awake at night can feel hopeless sometimes. There's a Christian climate scientist and he says this, that there's a debate about whether hope is something we should even aspire to. Some people think hope's too airy-fairy and that clinging to hope is not going to help at all. Without hope, simply despairing is as bad as denialism, saying that there's nothing going on. So we can either find ourselves in these camps of like everything's terrible and there's nothing we can do and we should all just like, basically it's like it's all going to burn anyway, so eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die kind of thing. Or we can deny that anything's bad and we can just pretend it's all fine. But I think Augustine said it so well that hope requires these two beautiful daughters their names are anger and courage and anger that things are the way that they are encouraged to make them the way they ought to be if we don't hope we don't have any hope if there's only doom and despair there's nothing to get us past that silent saturday into the resurrection morning Catherine Hayhoe, who wrote Saving Us that we read together as the book group, and you guys should continue to grab her book. It's amazing. She says, if you're not going to help, get out of the way. Don't try to convert people to doomerism. Walk your dog. Spend time in nature. Be with the people you love. Like, if you're just going to doom and gloom, get out of my way. I've got work to do. And I wonder if the women aren't going to continue to be the voices that try to move us into some action and some hope. That same... Christian, these are all Christian climate scientists. Dr. Rick Lindroth says that Resurrection Day is good news for the earth. That Easter is very transcendent and very earthy. It's earthy in that Jesus came in human form and earthiness and death and all the nastiness that went with that. And yet he defeated death and rose again. He promises full restoration for all of us in the earth. So Spark, I want to tell you that if you're stuck in doom and gloom, if you're stuck feeling like you're not quite sure where the hope is to be found, I want to let you know that if you are a Jesus follower, then you are a resurrection-shaped person and you get to move out of doom and gloom into hope and joy. And this isn't just something you get to do. It's your vocation and your calling. I don't know if you watched any of the hearings with justice brown jackson she's incredible but my part that i loved was when cory booker just like in tears was like no one is gonna take away my joy at this moment and i can't stop smiling and i am so excited and he just claimed joy joy for who she is joy for all of the women that came before her all of the black african-american women who came before who had to prove themselves over and over again he said no one's gonna steal my joy today and i loved everything he said because i was like yes he can sit there in the midst of chaos and a very dysfunctional system and still claim joy i hope that we don't let anyone or any situation that is going on in the world steal our joy and our hope.
Things are hard, I know, but you guys, we are Jesus followers. And Sunday morning happened and happens. Resurrection happens. I have a friend who is not Christian. And she says that one of the things that she envies most about our faith is that when she watches us at funerals, we're often celebrating. We're often crying tears, but we're also often holding that in joy. Like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, like brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not mourn like the rest of humankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. We can grieve, we can mourn, but because of Resurrection Day, we don't mourn as those without hope. And what's so interesting about this with my friend is that she doesn't actually believe what we believe. She, she doesn't believe it's true, but she's envious of what we're living right now, of the hope that we walk in right now today of how we live differently and how we look differently at the doom and the gloom and the distinct challenges that are in our world and in our daily lives. The resurrection declares that Jesus is alive. That Jesus still walks in our midst and still changes us right now and sets us free. This is not merely some transaction between Jesus and all of creation. This is not Only Jesus died for your sins and therefore you're forgiven. And now you'll get to go to a really cool party someday. This is the transformation of everything. This is not transactional. This is transformational. Sunday morning changed everything. Pope Francis said on his wonderful Twitter feed this week, evil has been robbed of power. Failure can no longer hold us back from starting anew. And death has become a passage to the stirrings of life. Amen. Amen. You know, there's another person who's not quite the same level as Pope Francis that we could quote today. Michael Scott from The Office. He said, when planning Toby's going away party, for those of you who know the thing, if the devil were to explode and evil were gone forever, what sort of party would you have? think he understood the Easter Sunday assignment. If the devil were to explode and evil were gone forever, what kind of party would you have? The resurrection of Jesus is not a magic wand that makes the world perfect. We all know that. But the resurrection of Christ is the tectonic shift in the way that the cosmos works. It is the conquest of death and despair and the opening of life, life to its fullest. This is what waits us at that empty tomb. We often wake up in a world characterized by pain and suffering. But in the resurrection, there is another more defining, more compelling, more true joyful and hopeful story found if we will simply awaken to Mary's cry as she runs to us from the empty tomb at the crack of dawn declaring, I have seen the Lord. He is alive. He is alive. The power of sin and death is broken. We are forgiven and set free. You guys, you have been forgiven. You are set free. 
you get a thousand gajillion second chances. There is hope and there is joy. We have that hope. The tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Let's party. Let's have a party. And you guys have been doing that all afternoon. Let's smack something. And it's been amazing, incredible. I want to let you know that he is risen. Death is destroyed. Joy is ours. May we spark, awaken, and joyfully live resurrection-shaped lives. These are lives that jump up at the crack of dawn, run to that empty tomb, and look for life. We, Jesus followers, we look at the tomb and say, there's life that comes out of that. Jesus has defeated death. We get to be resurrection-shaped people, joyful, hopeful people. Let's be clear. Rome was still in charge that Sunday afternoon. Things were still hard. Most of the disciples met very difficult lives and ends. But their life was defined and shaped by the resurrection, by joy, by hope. Resurrection is a key value here at Spark. We have it everywhere because it makes us joyful. As we turn our hearts towards the communion table, we remember that whenever, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we announce the Lord's death until he comes. This is our joyful, hopeful, determined, resurrection-shaped act to come to this table. This bread-breaking meal, this Jesus feast, announces to the forces of evil that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus has faced the powers of sin and death and has beaten them. And taking this cup announces Jesus' victory to the powers and the principalities. It announces hope to the doomerism and declare that declares there is no hope. And it announces joy and freedom to the powers of sin and death. This cup, this cup here is the final word. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Joyfully, hopefully, coming as resurrection-shaped people. All are welcome at this table.